faithful but flawed. Faithful but flawed. That's the, 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 the theme that we're looking at. Uh, when you're talking about the, the term flawed, it simply means compromise. We're looking at the compromised church. <laughs> A church that was faithful but was compromised uh, in so many areas that we'd like to explore. So I would like us to stand, all of us here, and we are going to read the word of God together. May I ask you just to be on your feet? May you just stand? And they are going to give us the scripture. Uh, if we can make just the light really nice so that they can. We read together. We are going to read slowly, one step at a time, together. And allow the word of God to sink deep in your heart as you read. Revelation chapter 2, starting from verse 12 up to 17. Let's start together. One, two, three. To the angel. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's take our seats. Thank you so much. What a wonderful church we are. Reading so nicely and in a good uh, unison. So Jesus writes to this church and say, I know you are faithful. But I also know that you are so compromised. And I want us to just go in details to look at how were they faithful and how were they compromised. And how can we learn from this church together today and with reflection on our own lives. How the Lord Jesus Christ would like us to uh, be as Christians or continue to live as Christians. So we are looking at faithful but compromised, a Pergamum church. So to start with, in the beginning, we read uh, from verse 2 of chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, going down about the Ephesians church. And we know that this church, the Ephesian church was considered uh, to be doctrinally sound. They had kept their doctrine they had kept their faith, but Jesus had something against them, which was they had lost their first love for the Lord. Jesus said, this is huge. Your love for me is so huge, therefore repent. And last week, we, we looked at the second church, and that was the church at Smyrna. And this church was, it is said to be a suffering church. A church that had gone through lots of persecution and lots of poverty. And they had, uh, the system around them did not help them to be able to be stable, to, be, to, be, to worship the Lord and enjoy life. Many of them gave up their faith. Some of them stood for their faith and they did not give up. And Jesus said that, I know your works. And today we are looking at the church at Pergamum. And this, to this church, Jesus is saying that you are compromised as a church. You are flawed as a church. Repent, therefore. Repent. I want us, first of all, to be able to look at or to be able to go through the city of Pergamum. Uh, what, what makes it so different from other cities? We know that this city uh, of Pergamum was... It wasn't as big as the Ephesus, the Ephesian city was. It wasn't as big as 
uh, the church at Smyrna was. But this city, Pergamum, was very, was very keen and very central. It was the center of every other city in Asia Minor. It was very central and it was very important. It was, why was it important? It had something that all these cities never had. And what was this? Pergamum was the capital city of the entire Asia. It was the capital city. So it, uh, let's say Ephesians was like Livingstone of Zambia, you know? It was the center of tourists, of trade and all that. And then Smyrna was like the copper belt itself. It was the richest place where all the wealth was. It was where all the precious stones, all the trade, all the what's this and what's that was. A very beautiful city. But this church, Pergamum, was like the Lusaka of Zambia. It was like the Washington D.C. of the USA, you know. It was the central place where every decision was made. Every activity was made. It was the place where everyone wanted to go and have a good life. Because it was the capital city of the entire Asia. But, and then, being the capital city, being the center, being the the many city of the entire province or the entire uh, country uh, or that country, it meant that the many offices, the national headquarters were there. It meant to say that all other big offices found themselves in that particular city. And it also means that the most feared office of their time was in that particular city. And this office was the office of the emperor. You know what that means. The Roman emperor had their office, their head office right in Pergamum. And when I'm talking about uh, the, the Roman emperor, I'm talking about the emperor himself, the great Caesar Augustus. Caesar himself had his throne in Rome. I mean, in this particular uh, colony, on this particular city of Pergamum. So, I'm giving you an introduction to why Jesus say, uh, he, says that, he, he says that, I know where you live. I know where you live. That's what Jesus says, says to them. Uh, let me just quickly read through the letter alone. And it says, to the end of the church in Pergamum, write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged, sharp double-edged sword, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few, a few things against you. They are among you, some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrifice to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will come soon to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever here as hears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give to that person a white stone 
with the name written on it, known only to the person who receives it. So he says, I know where you live. That's why Jesus says, I know where you live. And where do they live? Jesus says, where Satan lives. It means that in this particular city, Satan had his throne. He had his, his throne right there. He had his head office right there in Pergamum. And Satan, one thing that he doesn't want is people worshipping God. Or what he wants is people worshipping him. People have to worship him and adore him and him only. No one else should be worshipped apart from him. And in this particular city, just imagine Satan as his city in Indola. Imagine Satan comes and puts his city right here where we worship. It will be so difficult for you as believers and I to be able to worship freely and publicly because Satan would like to launch his missiles to come and kill, attack, destroy everyone who doesn't worship him. Before I go further in explaining this, we know in the time of our dear brothers, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In their time, the king brought in worship of himself. He made a, an image, an idol that was so big and put it in the, in the wilderness or in the valley, which in the plain. And everyone had to see whenever they, the, the bells or the trumpets were blown, everyone had to kneel down before king and worship the king, worship that idol. It was like Satan had his, his throne right there. Everyone could see it and they had to worship Satan by worshiping this king. So in the time of the Christians at the church of Pergamum, also being the capital city, being the many city where the emperor had his office, where Caesar had his office, there was one thing about Caesar. Caesar had proclaimed and declared that people had to worship him and him alone. No one else was to be worshipped. If Caesar had declared to be worshipped, it was like declaring war with God. It was like declaring war with Christians. It meant that anyone and everyone who did not worship Caesar, who worshipped Jesus, or who worshipped other gods, they were to be persecuted. They were to be tortured. They were to be killed. Jesus says that, I know some of you have held on to your faith. Even in the time of my faithful witness or faithful servant Antipas, who was killed, who was martyred, who was slaughtered for holding on to my name, you did not give up on your faith. So what happened was Antipas was one of the leaders in this church in Pergamum in the city. Antipas was one of the teachers, one of the elders, one of the leaders in that particular city. He held on to the teaching of Jesus Christ and preached Jesus Christ. Even when Caesar declared that, when the emperor declared that you are to worship me, uh, Antipas stood and said, we cannot worship a mere man. We worship God and him alone. We worship his servant and our savior, Jesus Christ, who died, was crucified and died, was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. It is in him that our salvation comes from. We belong to him and we worship him alone. Not you, Caesar. 
they held, they took Antipas and they publicly crucified him. They killed him. He was martyred. But he never gave up on worshiping Jesus. So even in the letter, Jesus says, even in the day of my servant Antipas who was crucified, who was killed, who was murdered, who was martyred, you did not give up on your faith. Can it be said of you and I? That even in the worst of persecution, in the worst of torture and suffering, rejection and all this, you would never give up on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can Jesus say that of you and me? That we have held on to our faith. We are fighting a good fight of faith. And we are not giving up on declaring and proclaiming his name. So Jesus said, you live where Satan has his throne. And he was referring to the man or the government of the day that had declared the worship of Caesar. And because of that worship, there was so much persecution that was going on in the church at Pergamum. Many believers were persecuted. Because they were right at the center of the Roman government. They were at the center where Caesar had to be worshipped. There were three temples. There was a temple to Diana. There was a temple to Caesar. And there was a temple to Christ for Christians. And there was war against, uh, among them. You know, but we see also... Let, let us look at some of the tactics that Satan has used in the past in reference to what Jesus has said in the later. Jesus says that there are among you, some of you who hold on to the teachings of Balak and Balaam. He talks about to the teachings of Balaam who enticed my church or my people or the Israelites. To eat from the food that was sacrificed to idols and to indulge themselves in sexual immorality and idol worship. This was going on right in the city of Pergamum. And it was going on right in the church among the believers. Because it was difficult. They had to fit in. And in trying to fit in, they started being at war with Jesus Christ. Because they started compromising. Let us look at the two tactics that Satan has used from time, time, generations upon generation. The same tactics Satan is using even today. We find them being used right there in the church at Pergamum. The first tactic that Satan uses is persecution of the church. From all the time... You know, like Jesus says, from the time of John the Baptist up to now, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent one shall take it by force. It's meaning that now, um, in as much as revival has to come, also persecution will break forth. Jesus is saying that some of you will be killed. Some of you will be persecuted and tortured. Some of you among who are standing right here will die and drink in the cup that I drink. Will be crucified for my name's sake, but be radical in your spirit. Do not give up because of persecution and torture. The enemy, he says that the enemy will put some of you in prison. In the last, uh, the last week when we talked about the church of Smyrna, he says that some of you will be put in prison for 10 days. Will be persecuted for 10 days. 
but be strong. Stand firm. Overcome. Do not give up and do not give in to the enemy's tactics. The enemy always has used persecution in order to frustrate the church of Christ. Every believer who rises up, who stands up to worship the name of the Lord will be persecuted and has always been persecuted. Just our, like our master Jesus Christ was persecuted. But he says that be of good cheer. I have overcome. We are more than overcomers. We need to fear nothing. We need to stand strong at all times and all seasons. Even though persecution may break out, we have to stand strong. Persecution has always come in different forms, names, blankets. It would come in terms of economy. It, it has come in terms of sicknesses and diseases. It has come in terms of Rules and regulations, some of the rules that the systems and the government of the day may implement against the churches. I remember in the time of COVID-19 here in Zambia, bars and other clubs were allowed to, to operate by the church was told not to meet. Isn't that persecution? How do you mean? And then whenever they allowed, when they allowed that we can meet as a church, they gave a number, only 50 people. So what do we do with other people? And also there were other rules and regulations that we had to go and get licenses and certificates. Whenever we went together, it was not an easy process. But where, where you walk, you find the restaurants are open. You find bars are open. We may say, oh, those are the wings of economy. Oh, wow. Spiritually, the church is the wind, is the fuel of the economy as well. If things are not right with the spirit of man, there will be lawlessness in the world. If the church does not declare the word of God and righteousness and running away from sin, all the prisons will be full of people that need to be out there to work and drive the economy of the city forward. But always the enemy has his ways of turning the tables, removing priorities, and, and be able to bring persecution to the church of God. This church was going through lots of persecution. The second tactic that the enemy uses is seduction. He uses seduction. He seduces the church. And that's where now Jesus says that uh, some of you among you, you hold on to the teaching of Balaam. Who advised Balak to seduce the Israelites? Now, you find this in Numbers chapter 31. In Numbers chapter 31, there is, a, there, there is, there is something funny going on in there. And we find that well, we find that at that particular time, the Israelites had come from afar and God was with them. They were winning battles and everything was going on well. And then they arrived at this particular place. Then they had to pass through the territory of King Balak. And this King Balak knew that he would not overcome. He would not win the Israelites. So what does he do? He goes to call somebody who knew the Lord but was the agent of Satan. His name was Balaam. So what, what happened to this man? He was going and God sent his angel to stand 
in front of this man so that he does not go to curse the church, the, the, the city that God, the, the Israelites. And against all hordes, we know what happened. The, the donkey had to speak like a human. What are you doing? Balaam, can't you see the man with the sword standing ahead of me? I don't want to lose my neck. The, walk, the, the horse spoke to this man. Even though God caused the horse to speak, its tongue is not meant to speak like we do. The mechanism of this animal is not meant to, begin to declare words. I can imagine maybe that horse spoke in Hebrew, the most difficult language even to speak. But God gave it a chance to speak. Even though God made the impossible possible, this man did not give up. He went on his way and he met this crazy king, Balak, who told him, curse those people so that I can win the war with them. He tried. Three times, Balaam tried to curse God's people. God put words in him. He ended up blessing them. The second time he said, like, look at the way. Actually, the way they were camping, you know, the tabernacle was in the middle, and you were delivered. They had made a cross in their camping. They had made a cross without knowing. God was protecting them with a foreshadow of what will become our protection on the cross of Calvary. Our Savior says, it is finished. And he looked at them and said, wow. He says, look at how amazing God's people are. They are so one. They are so united. And God is at the center of the city. Who can overcome them? The third time he actually prophesied that actually the Israelites will overcome the Moabites. Where King Balak was their king. He says that he will, they will overcome you. They will overthrow you. They will kill each one of you. And that made Balak very angry. I called you, I've given you so much money so that, and firm so that you can curse the people, but how come you are blessing them? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm referring to that because Jesus is saying something here. <laughs> Jesus says, uh, he says in the chapter we are reading today, Jesus says that, some of you hold on to the teaching of Balaam. So what does Balaam do? Before he could leave, he says that, nevertheless, Balak, I know how you can defeat the Israelites. There is only one way. You can defeat the Israelites. What is the way? Using Satan's tactics. And what is Satan's tactics? He says that, okay, we have to do two things. Number one, we have to persecute these guys. Number two, we have to seduce these guys. If they are seduced and persecuted, they are going to give up on their faith and their God will curse them. If their God curses them, then you can win them. What does he do? He says that there is one sin. There is a there is sin that God hurts sin among his people. So what you do is look, the Moabite women are so beautiful. They know beauty. They know all these things. Send the ladies from the Moab camp into the camp of the Israelites so that they can go and mingle and marry and have sexual immorality. If they have sexual immorality among them, then the women are going to force those men to come into the city and worship their God, the idols of the Moab. How are they going to do that? By eating the food that will be offered to the, to the idols. 
So, you know, in the worship of, of olden days, whenever they came together to worship their gods, they ate food. It was always a celebration. They sacrificed food to the idols and dedicate food. That's why you see in Daniel, Daniel said that I will not eat any meat. I will not eat any food. I will pray and fast on vegetables and on fluids. You know, that's why we call it Daniel's fast. Because they never offered vegetables to those gods. Meat, barbecue, <laughs> smokies and all that <laughs> was given. So, now what happened was... This, this advice was an inter-seduction advice so that God would give up on his people. And it worked. King Balak sent the Moabites ladies, all those fine-looking ladies, into the camp. And the men among the Israelites, they're like, we've never seen such beauties. And they rushed into them and picked women for, for themselves. And also the men, those that remained, said like, how about us? They rushed into the camp in Moab, in Moab city to go and marry and get ladies for themselves. And what do they do? They started eating food that were offered to idols. And the anger of God kindled against them. And you know what happened? 24,000 men were killed by the sword. Including Balaam himself died in the process. And Balak, all of them died in the process. But that, even though the anger of God kindled against God's people, the protection of God lifted from them and the, the, the enemies came and they killed 24,000 men. God's anger was against Balaam. And Balaam was killed. So Jesus says that even among you, there are those that seduces my people who hold on to the teaching of Balaam, who says that it is okay. What was the teaching of Balaam? The teaching of Balaam said that it was some of the people among them who wanted to be in good terms with, with the Roman emperor and also wanted to be in good terms with the Christian dome. So what they did was they had one foot in Christianity and another foot in Rome, in the world. They said that it is okay to have a little bit of the world and a little bit of Christianity. They said that it is okay to have fame and want to be known and to be affiliated with the government and the people that were with the high statuses. And also it was okay to belong to God as long as we worship him. That's how they compromised their faith. That's how the church began, became compromised. Because if you did not affiliate or have good partnership with those guys, then you would not work. Then you would not live well. Then you would not benefit. And then the others were just afraid of being killed. And Jesus says, this is the sin of Balaam. Where one foot is in the world, another foot is in the church. Jesus says to other churches that, I would rather you are either cold or warm so that I know what to do with you. The teaching of Balaam declares or says to the Christian today in the modern world that it is okay. As long as it feels right, it's okay. As long as you like it and enjoy it, it's okay. You can go ahead as long as you can come in church and lift your hands to God. We find Christians today, they are the masters in the world out there. And they come here, they are the holy sons and daughters of God. 
That's the seed of Balaam. And Jesus says, repent. Jesus is saying to his church that to repent. For if you do not repent, I will come to you like an enemy with the sword of my mouth. I will come and fight and cut you off and remove you from your lampstand. Repent from the sin of Balaam. James chapter 4 verse 4 says, let me read it in English Standard Version. It says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Read it for yourself. James chapter 4 verse 4. Jesus is saying that you can't have a little bit of the world and a little bit of heaven. You can't have a little bit of both. Choose where you belong. I am coming against the workers of iniquity. Against the workers of Balaam. And fight them with the sword of my mouth. Because they, are, they have allowed Satan to come and seduce my people. They say it is okay if it, it, if it doesn't feel bad. If your conscience does not condemn you. Then it's okay. Go ahead and do it. God is a merciful God. His grace is all sufficient. God will forgive you. That's a sin of compromise. You can't be both in the world and be both in heaven. The Bible tells us that we are passengers on earth. We are just passing by. Your life on earth has got the beginning and the end. But God wants you to live for him while you are still alive on earth. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. He's trying to say that do not be same with the system of the world. It doesn't say do not go and win them back to God. Jesus says, I have sheep. Some of them, they're not here. Go and bring them so that they can become one. It did not say you become one with them. There. What does Paul say to the Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2? I plead with you. I beg, oh, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. He's begging us. To turn away, to not be uh, conformed to the system of the world. But these guys, the Balaam teaching says that it is okay. When you go to the Romans, do what the Romans do. Be like the Romans. Do like the Romans. Then the Romans will like you. And you will be okay. You know what? If you want to have... Peace, not being persecuted, not being tortured, not feeling the pinch from the enemy. There is only one way, and the way is to say no to God and yes to the enemy. Then he will love us and welcome us. But if we want to belong to Jesus Christ, we have to depend to Him on him for his peace, for his love, for his protection, for his care. But he says, in this world, you go through many persecutions because you are not of this world. Some of these guys compromised a lot because they wanted protection from the world. And they said, God understands. So that was the teaching of Balak. 
What does the teaching of Nicolaitan also say? We learned about it in the church, the Ephesian church. In, 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 in the first church, we learned that the Ephesian church, they overcame the teaching of Nicolaitans. None among them actually gave in to the teaching of Nicolaitans. And what was this teaching of Nicolaitans? They said, a little bit of both is okay. That's what they said. A little bit of both is okay. <laughs> They said, actually, Jesus was half human and I was half divine. He was half God and half human. And then that was the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And they also said that man is dichotridon or whatever they say. Then they say that man is both spirit and is also body. Then he says, the spirit of a man worships God and worships God only. And then the, spirit, the body belongs to me. It's my body. Therefore, if I sin with my body, I have to be at peace with my body. But if I sin with my spirit, I have to make peace with God, right? Then they say, as long as you worship God, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. And that became a war. That's why Paul had to write in reference, he had to write to the Corinthians. He said, don't you know that your bodies are temples of God? Because the Nicolaitans teaching, it was an heretical teaching and heresy that said whatever you do with your body, it's up to you. God pays no attention to what you do with your body. As long as you always have to come to church, to God and pray and worship God and save God. Jesus calls it that you are flawed. You are compromised. So there are these two seductions and persecution going on. And many Christians, others had fallen on the scene of Nicolaitans, and others were living in the scene of Balaam. The scene of Nicolaitans, it, takes, it makes the grace of God to be of no use. Or to become useless to them. That's why also Paul writes also to the, to the Romans in chapter 6. He says, if the grace of God is sufficient, shall we continue living in sin? Is that what it means? So to them, it says that as long as you pray and you belong to God and you worship God, that's okay. What you do with your body doesn't matter. As long as it is your body, you can cut it how you want. You can treat it how you want. You can... I almost mentioned some of the things you would have been worried with. <laughs> you can tattoo it the way you want. You can pierce it the way you want. You can paint it the way you want. You can dress it up the way you want. It is your body. And today people take so much offense when we talk about those things, huh? Do you know what is working the scene of Nicolaitan? We are not to our own, the Bible says. We were purchased with the blood of Jesus. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to our master, Jesus Christ. You are not your own, church. You are not your own. Do not be deceived that God does not take interest in your body, spirit, and soul. God says, worship the Lord your God with your spirit, with your soul, with your body, with everything that you have. Honor the Lord your God. But today they tell us that it is my body. I can do whatever I want. I can dress the way I want. It is just fashion. We dress to honor the Lord. We look to honor the name of Jesus Christ. 
not to entice others, not to impress others, not to attract others. We dress up, we look, we live like in, in. The Bible says that whatever you do, do it as unto God. Hallelujah. The sin of Nicolaitan said what God is interested with is your soul, your spirit, and your worship to God only. There has to be a difference between the children of God and the children of the world. I know you can't say, man, I'm not preaching to be popular today. But I'm preaching so that you may enter the kingdom of heaven. Because any time and soon and very soon, this world will come to an end. Jesus says, I am coming. Haven't you been reading? He says, I am coming. I am coming. He who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. I rebuke every sin of Nicolaitan and Balaam in open church in the name of Jesus Christ. We can't be a compromised church. We can't be a compromised Christian. There is a very clear cut line between light and darkness. We can't leave one foot in the other and one foot in the other. That's what Nicolaitan said. It's like they had to leave one foot in the world. A little bit of the world is okay. And a little bit of Christianity is okay. We want Christians that are fully devoted to God and to his work. Who are spirit-led. Who are ambassadors and who are surrendering to the Lord God. That's what God is calling for. That's the church Jesus will return for. Jesus says, repent. If you do not repent, I will come. And when he comes to defeat Balaam, it's not the guy who is dead. It is the servants of Balaam. It is the servants of Nicolaitan. Whose servant are you today? Whose servant are you today? Jesus says, I know where you live. Because some live on the doctrine of Balaam. And some live on the doctrine of Nicolaitans. But others live on the sure foundation. The doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. His love, his mercy, his salvation is everything we need for this life. Everything else. He says in Matthew chapter 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He does not say you do not have all these. He says you have them. But he gives it to you. He said, why do you worry a lot about what to eat, what to wear, what to do, what to what, what to what? Isn't life more important than all these things? He's not saying that these things are not important. He's saying that I work with priorities. Your soul, your spirit comes first. Then everything else I'll give them to you. The job you have, it is God who has given it to you. The marriage you have comes from the Lord. The children you have comes from the Lord. Everything you have comes from the Lord. Put God first in your life. Not you. Jesus. Jesus promises three things. And I want to go fast to them. And the first thing Jesus promises to his church. He says that those who overcome, I will do these things to them. Number one, what does Jesus promise to his church? The gift of hidden manna. He says, I will give you the hidden, the hidden manna if you overcome. If you read in John chapter 6 verse 30, Jesus is saying that I am the manna of life. Manna was a representation of sustenance and the provision of God. On a daily basis. 
And Jesus says that I will come back. And I'll give you the hidden manna. You will, hear, you will eat from the manna that comes from heaven. Because these guys, they were eating. They wanted to eat the manna that comes from the world. They wanted to feast of manna that comes from Nicolaitans and Balaam and the world. And it's filthiness and dirty doctrines and teachings. Jesus says that if you overcome, there is a pure food to eat. And that is hidden manna. Do you know what hidden manna gives you? Eternal salvation. Can you quickly just project John chapter 6, if it's there? Yeah, do you know what Jesus says? They said to him, then what sign do you have that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written that they ate bread from heaven. To... And then Jesus said to them, that's what I'm interested in. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave your forefathers manna. It's not Moses... Who gave you bread from heaven? But my father. Do you know what my father does? He did not give you. He did not, it's not, it does not say give them. What does my father in heaven do? Gives you. God's provision for you and I on a daily basis. May he take care of your needs in the name of Jesus Christ. It is my father. <laughs> who gives? My father gives you. The true bread, true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is you comes down from heaven and it gives because God gives. What does Jesus teach in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. And what is the true bread that comes from heaven? Jesus Christ is the bread of life. That's what he says. Hallelujah. He says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the manner of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. I am the bread of life. I am the manner of life. Jesus says, I will give to them who overcome the manner of life. Oh, when Jesus comes back, may you never miss heaven in the name of Jesus. When he comes with the names of those to be remembered and to be rewarded, may your name be there. May your children's name be there. May your siblings, families' names be there. May your friends' names be there. But they have to run away from Nicolaitan's sin today and Balaam's sin today. What's the second thing Jesus is promising in that scripture? He says that uh, the second thing is that I'll give them the gift of a white stone. I'll give them a gift. A gift. The gift of a white stone. Do you know in the Pergamum. Or in their ancient time. They had a very unique. And very precious white stone. That was given. Like we give the medals of honor today. They gave a white stone. As a medal of honor. Alright. Also, this white stone was only given to the rich people who had financial capacity and who were very famous as a VIP ticket to the amphitheater. Like the stadiums of today or great meetings of today where you have a VIP section and an ordinary section. The VIPs were given a white stone. It's not just any other white stone. It was in particular a very special white stone that was given to them. Jesus says that I also have a white stone. You'll be VIPs in my father's kingdom. How? 
I would love to be that. He says that I'll give you the crowns. You will be kings and priests unto my father. If you overcome. The last thing Jesus promises is that a new name. I'll give you a new name. I'll give you a new name. The gift of a new name. And Jesus says in that, in that chapter we read that this name will be written on a white stone. I'll give you a gift of a new name. And you know what Jesus says? No one knows this name except the one who receives this stone. <laughs> no one knows this name except he who receives this stone. A gift of a new name. I don't know if it's going to say conqueror. I don't know if it's going to say faithful. I don't know if it's going to say holy. I don't know if it's going to say Sylvester, you are righteous. I don't know if it's going to say Sylvester, you are, you are a victor, you are an overcomer. Jesus says this name will only be known by the person who received this new stone. Your name is written on that stone. Your name is written in the palm of his hand. Your name is written on that Stephanos. The Greek called this crown. They, they called it a, a, a white stone. And, and in, in Revelation, they call it Stephanos, the crown of glory. Your name is written on it and the name of the Lamb of God. On the crown that Jesus has for you and I, if you do not give up. Let us run away from living a compromised life, Jesus says. Let us run away from living a compromised life. These guys, you may say, oh, I go to church. I serve the Lord. I sing in the choir. I am in the tech team. Oh, I every Sunday go to church. I give my tithe. Do you know what is the name of the message Jesus says to them? You are what? Faithful, but what? Flow. These guys were faithful. Even though they were persecuted, they did not renounce the name of Jesus. They still were called Christians. These guys went to church. They served in church. They did everything. But Jesus says that I know your lifestyle. Hmm. What would Jesus say about your lifestyle? My God. What would Jesus say about you? I want you to stand where you are. And do one thing that Jesus says. He says that to repent. Do you know why repentance is? A second chance. A second chance to be at peace with him. I want you to think about your life and the areas in which you may be compromised or not living right. It could be in what you say. It could be in how you hold on dear to your anger. It could be in how you obey what others say. It could be your lifestyle, it could be what you hold on dear and place them right before God. Anything that comes before God is called idol worship. Whether good in your own eyes or bad, it is idol worship before God. God does not want anything to be placed before him. Whether money, fame, Education, life, wealth, whatever it could be. What would God say? Yes, 
most of you, God can call you faithful. What would he say about the second thing? What would he say about your life? I want you to close your eyes and just think about your life. Would you like the hidden manna, the bread of life that comes from heaven? Would you like a white stone or the crown or the medal of honor given to you by Jesus? Would you like a new name that Jesus gives to his people? A name only written for you, tailor-made by God for you. If you do need that today, you have made a clear decision. You have to make a clear-cut decision to only follow him and honor him. The world will bring teachings and philosophies and <laughs> they are all just leading you away from him. Jesus says that be faithful.